Radio by students for students. You are why. Hello, I'm Alice. This episode of How to Break a Radio Station, the podcast, features interviews from many of our beloved alumni and some of our graduating members about their experience in the world of broadcast engineering. We hope you enjoy. Hi, I'm Dave. I was uh, involved in engineering at URY 94 to 98, so a few years back. I've been involved in live sound at local church with a small band since about age 12. Um, went off to uni doing electronic engineering with music technology systems. Normal freshers fair thing. It's URY or YSTV. And uh, URY won. So yeah, I got involved in that and uh, became transmissions officer, as one of the posts was called, was then chief engineer a year or so later. So what did what did transmissions officer entail? Because that's not a role we have. In my day, many years ago, um, we had basically small, small induction loops on top of uh, many of the college blocks because we weren't allowed to just blanket cover the campus and the surrounding area. Um, but that meant you had to run coax cables from wherever the transmitter was, which was under the library bridge, out to each of those colleges. And... Uh, they frequently get dug up and broken and you end up walking around sort of just doing a, a coverage check and going, oh, right, so that block's off at the moment. Because the aerials were on the roofs, you also had to negotiate with the states to get training to work on the roofs and uh, you got wonderful views of the campus and things um, and places where very few other people went. What's the biggest thing in engineering terms that has happened during your time at UOI? Must be summer 97, when estates told us uh, we want to put the security office where the URY station was. You're moving out. So that was just a a small summer job of stripping out the old building totally, moving all the vinyl, racks and racks of vinyl. That all went into storage whilst estates sorted out the new building, which was um, basically a linen closet. Then you had to get all the electrics done. We were ordering up kit, took over the station manager's dining room to stop putting things together before the building was ready and then finally when the building was there we had to to actually put the studios together of course the transmitter was moving so those coax cables referred to earlier had to be rerouted extended so yeah that was a really good fun job (laughs) obviously project managing the station move was rather a good one to put on the cv when you leave university um, and has helped in quite a few job interviews and i'm still involved in well not audio anymore video codecs and image processing it's really been a really good background um, and varied. You know, say, transmissions officer, you're dealing with RF frequencies rather than audio. It was really helpful to have that as a, a practical outlet of um, expertise. <laughs> Hobby-wise, I'm still doing live sound, um, but also now a bit of video projection, a bit of lighting, just, just amateur-level stuff rather than anything serious. Actually, I've forgotten that um, we phased out the cart system in my first year would be replaced with mini-disc and it was a continuous loop of magnetic tape and that's what you put your jingles on and you stuck them in the machine hit play and it would play the loop tape once and spool back to the start again ready for queuing again uh so those were yeah heavily used and abused for, for news clips and things you'd, you'd literally were using razor blades to splice the the reel-to-reel tape so we'd have to budget for a number of reels of quarter inch tape for the news team each year because they'd be splicing it so many times that you know, in the end it just fell apart. <laughs> Mini disc was so much easier because yes, you could record it 
and then go in and put edit points, split it into different tracks, and you'd end up with just the one track you wanted. Um, so it did. It wasn't quite um, non-linear editing, but it was getting there. Hello, I'm Paul Burns, and I was URY's chief engineer, uh, 1997 to 98. Um, how did you first become interested in engineering for radio then? Um, well, to be honest, I not until I joined URY. So uh, Freshers' Fair, uh, first year, looking to see, you know, what exciting things there was to do at York. Um, and I went along to the introductory meetings and I remember the station manager whose name I forget uh 1995 um explaining how uh on a shoestring budget it was quite possible to produce professional sounding radio and the same wasn't true of tv didn't have any background at all in hobbyist radio or you know student radio at school or anything like that um so I was a little bit uh out of my depth, so I say, uh, lots of other people who, you know, it's always the way when you get to university, uh, you're always in a room with people who are smarter than you or know more than you or have more experience than you. Um, so I just ended up standing around holding cables and uh, shifting boxes and, and that sort of thing originally. Was it 96 when they moved from uh, under the library bridge over a, a long summer? Um, there was a small team uh, I wasn't involved in directly over the summer. We basically uh, spent the entire summer packing the entire station up and shifting it and in building a new studio in its current building. Um, and so I, I came back at the start of term and uh, there was quite a lot of sort of finishing off work and, and that's how I, uh, I got much more deeply involved. Um, and uh, towards the point where Dave was ready to hand over, he sort of said... Hope you're going to stand to be chief engineer, <laughs> looking around at everybody else, and uh, so that's that's how I how I got the job. What was the biggest thing in engineering terms that happened during your time at URY? Uh, yeah, probably the move in the new studios uh, was the biggest. I think possibly the most significant for the station happened after that, which was the the RSL restricted service license, where we got to broadcast on FM radio for uh, thirty days in. I think that was 1998, uh, autumn term. And uh, so prior to that, um, and, and again afterwards, um, we broadcast on an, an induction loop AM system. Um, the licence which required us to be undetectable from the edge of campus, and uh, we were certainly undetectable from the edge of campus. We were undetectable from most places on campus as well. So, um, But going... Uh, to an RSL license um, meant we could broadcast to uh, not just campus but to student accommodation right across York. So we were given, I, I think we managed to persuade them to give us whatever the maximum power allowed was because uh, a lot of York was the other side of the hill. Um, and we said, oh, we, we're going to need a lot of power to be able to, uh, to get over that. And then we went and stuck our antenna up on the top of the electronics building, uh, whatever it is. 30 metres up, <laughs> um, and uh, we, we could be heard quite a long way away. Um, so that was a, I think that was a bit of a shock for a lot of the presenters who were used to having to try and bully their friends into phoning in or standing in the office and phoning in, and uh, suddenly uh, 
people, uh, some people who weren't even students, uh, other parts of York, uh, would 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 phone in when they said, Let, "Let's you know ask a question or whatever, have a quiz." So in terms of the engineering side, um, we had a we had a new transmitter and we needed to uh, get up high. So we had the job of trying to get our output signal uh, from from the transmitter cupboard in the station uh, to the top of the uh, electronics building. So we, we was like. Whatever it is, 500 meters of cabling we needed to buy. So I'm like, right, okay, looking the Camford audio catalogue at you know stereo audio cable, and it was stupidly expensive. And I'd look around and I was like, well, we can get screen twisted pair Cat six cable for next to nothing. <laughs> Will that work? I mean, it's not audio cable, but it's it's twisted pair, it's screened, it's cheap. <laughs> so we, yeah, we we ran all our analog audio signals over over Cat Six um, and just ran out a load of cable from uh, Vanbra Paradise into the lake, uh, through the lake, <laughs> up over the covered walkways, um, and uh, right at the top of the building, we uh, we just bolted an antenna onto the railings and this little tiny transmitter box, sort of shoebox sized uh, FM transmitter. Um, was just sat in the stairwell. Um, I remember we did, we broadcast an event from somewhere in the city centre. It's like the art centre. The, the way that we were going to get the signal back to the station was uh, via an ISDN line. So for those of you who below a certain age, ISDN line is like a digital phone line, essentially, 64 kilobit dial-up connection. Um, and they had one in, one at the, uh, the art centre and there was uh, one endpoint somewhere in a porter cabin out the back of the biology department that we'd managed to persuade someone to let us borrow for the weekend and so on the friday we went in um installed these line boxes at each end dropped a cable out the window and tried to make it look like it was secure i think we just maybe just had headphones check that the line was alive and working and that we could we could do the dial up at the other end and so we go down to the art center that's all set up come back to the other end and we then had to run quite a everything was just running cables across campus because everything was analog and you just had to put cables everywhere whenever you wanted to move outside of the station so uh we run quite a long length of cables probably through the lake because that's the easiest way of moving everything around campus so with the cables you just throw it in the lake and <laughs> nobody seems to care and um, go back to the studio already to um, do the broadcast. And what I should check was that the signal coming out of the, the line box was, was able to drive such a long length cable, and it wasn't. So the other end, there was just no signal left. Um, so very last minute, we ended up with a small preamp dangling down the wall outside of this uh, cabin, connected together with a, was it a 9 volt battery or 12 volt battery jacked in <laughs> and it managed to last for the like two hours or whatever that the uh, that the broadcast was doing and by the end the battery was just starting to fade the signal level the, the presenter who was there was going, right, this thing seems to get quieter and quieter I'm, I'm almost up to the top of the faders and it won't get any louder like yeah that's the batteries run out <laughs> so. hello i'm matt gray i was at uri I think 2006 to 2009 or thereabouts. I was chief engineer for a reasonable amount of that. And nowadays I'm the managing broadcast engineer for Global in London. Uh, cool. So what was the biggest thing in engineering terms that happened during your time at URY? 
When I was at UOI, something reasonably momentous happened, and that was the introduction of computers for playouts, which makes me feel like a dinosaur saying that. And yeah, in my time over a weekend, we pulled out a CD player and a mini-disc player and shoved the computer front-facing. <laughs> and then we had a... there was a 80s terminal server with, like, matrix-looking black screen with orange text on it. And you could type commands into that to get your text messages up and your emails up <laughs> that people are emailing in. And you could see the number of people that were listening on the web streams, which hovered around five. Uh, <laughs> and that was off to one side with a big clickety-clackety keyboard and a big grey CRT screen on it. So you've alluded to this already, but uh, where has your experience on the engineering team taken you? Ah, if I hadn't have done UOI, I would never have considered looking for a job in engineering in radio. I hadn't even considered that, that was an option until a couple of years through uni. Well, I was just I was sat in one of the SRA conferences where there was an engineer from um, a nearby radio station at the time. Went, oh, he's getting paid to do what I do, and as I graduated. Uh, that was the beginning of the credit crunch where no one was hiring and all graduate schemes were being cancelled and, and I'd actually got a place in the BBC's graduate broadcast engineering scheme and then they cancelled it. So I was kind of left in limbo. And I saw a job come up for a broadcast engineer in Wrexham in North Wales. And I had never heard of Wrexham before. And I applied for it. And then I looked up where Wrexham was, <laughs> realised it was uh, about 120 miles away from York, <laughs> uh, and went, went for an interview, first time I'd ever been to North Wales, the first time I'd ever been to Wrexham, and found out the next day that I'd got the job, so I moved to Wrexham of all places. And that was just over 10 years ago, I spent three years there, and then I moved down to London, I've been working for Global in London since then. So, of course, we're all human. What is the worst mistake that you've ever made during engineering, and what did you learn from it? Ooh, now, it's impossible to work on radio station tech without accidentally taking it off air every so often. <laughs> I was taught that at the very beginning when I started, and... I was reminded that as long as it's kind of for the greater good, it doesn't, you don't have to worry if it goes off quickly, as long as you fix it and you know why and you don't do it again. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, yes, I have caused many little things over the years, but I, I'd like to, I like to think that I have fixed more things than I have broken. I made a configuration error recently while trying to make something better. And I managed to take off the entire big top 40. <laughs> it was only for about 10 seconds, luckily, because there was a human in the room. This is why humans are good at radio, because if an automated radio station is playing something out and it goes silent, it doesn't care, it stays being silent. But the human, they go, oh, that doesn't sound right, and press the button, and the next thing goes along. Luckily, fingers are crossed, the average listener goes, huh? Ah. <laughs> and then that's it. They don't think about it again. Try to think of anything like a physically broken rather than, like, touching computers and making things go off air. If it helps, we managed to break an SM58 a few weeks. Well, oh, I found a broken one of them as well in our store. And no one believed me until they, and everyone went round and 
I was like, it can't be broken. And everyone had a go at proving that it wasn't broken. And it was broken. (laughs) (laughs) They call them the unbreakable microphone. But if you found a broken one and I found a broken one, then maybe stanzas are slipping. You are wild. If we can can differentiate voices. So this is Luke. Hey, I'm Luke. And this is Will. Hello, I am Will. Um, and if you could tell us a little bit about what you guys did at UOI. So Will and I were co-chief engineers. Uh, we were there from 2008-ish to 2012-ish. Uh, well, I think I had yeah. a show on the radio station first um, when I was in my first year of university. And I'd done a bit of hospital radio before, so I was already quite famous on, <laughs> on, uh, on radio. <laughs> I came at it from a completely different angle. I had no interest in radio at all. I used to be into sort of TV and movies and things. And then uh, Dave Tratch, the head of news at the time, grabbed me at Freshers Fair and said, could I do a news show? So I ended up reading the news on UOI. And then I started doing a radio show and things were always broken. And, and eventually, when the time came and the existing engineers stepped down, I sort of thought, yeah, we could, we could do this. Are you now walking through a playground, Will? Yeah, I'm sorry. Lots of, lots of kids went past on bikes. It's very typical, Will, to go and have a walk while trying to do a radio interview. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to go into a nice sound isolation place. Got one bar of signal. How did co-chief engineers come about then? Was it the done thing or...? You know, actually, it wasn't the done thing, if I remember rightly. Were we um, both... I, oh, I can't... We're we are literally going back over ten years now, aren't we? That's how scary yeah. this is. Yeah, it's um, scary. Yeah, I think but... maybe for a few months and then the elections came up and we decided, rather than fighting against each other for it, it would be better if we just worked together and did some big projects. Yeah, because we had some quite big sort of projects planned and we got on quite well, so we decided that we would just take it on together, which if I remember, the committee at the time were, I'm sure some people were a bit upset about it. They were like, you can't, you can't have two chief engineers. Well, you just have to be assistant chief. And we were like, no. <laughs> so what was the biggest thing in engineering terms that happened during your time at UOI? Oh. oh boy, 2011. This is, a, this is a sour topic. <laughs> is it? Well, it's, it doesn't exist anymore. Our, our legacy is gone. Oh, God. Well, we, we've okay, shared yeah. many messages about this. We, yeah, okay. Um, the committee had arranged to receive a grant from uh, Alumni Fund of, uh, was it 11K or something? Yeah, it's about and that. And we basically took on this mammoth task of completely tearing out the old studio and then building a new studio and we were two very enthusiastic but quite underqualified guys who basically just sort of took to it with our soldering irons and a healthy dose of optimism you know we had five weeks to do it and we thought that's loads of time we'd have loads of time and uh in the end it was a race to the finish line that sort of went over overdue and overdue and just so much harder than and over budget and over everything but yeah i think we so this was this was purely studio one we were looking at and i think a bit of the office which were both decades old they were like this this old gray mdf um so yeah we over the summer we we had this whole plan of work so will and i said right we're not we're not going on holiday we're going to stay there and do it all ourselves the first stage of that was ripping everything out there was some horrible grey carpet tiles that had been there since the station had been created and we we pulled all of those up you two pop their head in and go what the hell have you done that for there's asbestos under there and I just remember Will and I going right we're, we're screwed then because we're going to have to shut down the studio now and we don't have enough budget to do an asbestos clean and we somehow I think did we got very lucky that facilities basically said we'll sort that out for you 
so yeah so that that was first problem then we then we obviously had all the trunking around the side and we had to repaint the whole room and we were like we're going to do that ourselves of course um so we ripped off all the trunking one day and i remember getting a call from the station manager going um you see yeah they've poked their heads in again they've seen that the electrics are hanging off the wall i was like oh god why did they have to go literally it must have been there a day and we were like and fit it all back up again and the station yeah. was completely locked off to everyone no one could get in i can't remember i think will you were away that day and i just had to take this massive bollocking yeah, and again they were that. they yeah. were threatening us with you guys aren't you you guys can't continue you don't know what you're doing sort of thing they'd re, someone had repainted it from orange to something else so we were like well we're okay to repaint the studio then so we get our paintbrushes out and start painting the whole thing red because it was going to be a red and blue studio. And again, you see pop their head in or see through the window that we're there painting it. And we get our third bollocking of the project going, you're not allowed to paint. Who, who, who told you you're allowed to go and paint university property? You, you're not allowed to do this. You've got to get a professional in. You're, you're going to have to pay for a professional to come and do this properly now and redo what you've done. And we'd done most of it by the point they'd found out I wanted to send someone in and redo the whole lot. And again, I can't remember how we got out of that one, but I think we did. And we picked out at the time we had, it was a, was it a Sonifex Sovereign? It was a really old, an old radio broadcast desk, like old BBC one. I mean, it was a lovely desk for its time, but it's from the 70s or something. And we updated it with a Sonifex F2. So a, a, like a modern sort of digital ready, super fancy desk, which, um, which is still there today. And I think will probably be there for the foreseeable future as long as it keeps running. Because the individual modules were quite expensive, I remember there was one thing that we wanted. And rather than spend something like, we took out one of the modules and we, and we were electronic engineers, we were studying it. And we sort of looked at it and they wanted a couple of hundred quid for the replacement module. And Luke and I said, well, why don't we just sort of modify this one? So I had this, it's probably still there now. I have this distinct memory of you know, installing our own resistors onto this um, this very expensive radio module, which I think is, is still there. Because they did this thing, which... Uh, electronic engineers, PV engineers often do, which is they created one PCB, one circuit board, and then they put different components on each one, depending on what the function of that particular module or particular, yeah, particular module is, which means if you want, if you're really ambitious, and if you happen to sort of be able to guess what's on there, you can actually use the same circuit board and use it for different purposes by fitting your own components, if that makes sense. So it's funny how I feel like, I don't know if Luke has the same, but I feel like most of my real life skills were acquired from URY and not from my course like sort of as far as like putting out fires goes and like relationships with people and sort of also learning about a lot of new tech i didn't really put that much effort into my course i spent most of my time in the radio station <laughs> yeah i think i can remember interviewing for my first job after university and just leaning on the experience of URY was a huge, huge thing. You know, in your interview, they'd be like, name a time when things have gone wrong and you've had to manage the problem. You'd be like, well, yeah. let me tell you about URY again. URY. Today, we are talking with Steve. If you'd like to introduce yourself, Steve. Yeah, uh, I'm Steve. Uh, when I was at URY, I was chief engineer once... Assistant Chief Engineer twice, Assistant Station Manager for a little bit, Head of Marketing for a bit, a couple of other things. I was there for quite a while. I was there for five years, so, you know, did quite a few things at that time. Yeah, you really you really ticked off all the boxes there. <laughs> how, how did you first become interested in engineering for radio then? What first got you intrigued? Um, 
so when I went to high school, they had like a tech crew for school shows and stuff. And kind of from there decided I wanted to do electronic engineering at uni. Uh, and when I went to York, I knew they had a student TV and a student radio. Kind of wanted to do the TV side more because I hadn't done much with video stuff. But I'd been doing stage tech. Uh, but then in my second night out of freshers, I broke my ankle. So was less mobile on campus in the first week or first few weeks of uni than I you know, would have liked to have been. Um, but everywhere I went, I saw UOI doing a OB. And so I kind of, by the end of the week, I was fed up of trying to work out where the TV station was. So joined the radio <laughs> station instead. So the reason is just because you got lost. Yeah. And, and, you know, when, when you're on crutches and struggling to get around anyway, uh, trying to find somewhere is quite difficult. Cool. So uh, what was the biggest thing in terms of engineering that happened during your time at URI? Uh, so we replaced all of the analog interconnections between studios and transmission with digital audio, mainly because there was this really horrible buzz on everything. And it was one of those things that just like, whatever you did to try and get rid of it would probably make it worse. Like the whole analog audio system in the whole little hut had this buzz on it from probably from mains power and leakages all over the place. So we decided to get rid of it by just going digital. We secured funding in various ways. Um, I then happened to end up working on my placement year at the company we were buying, buying most of the kit from. So then got some discount from them as well. In some ways, I miss kind of being on a tight budget and, and having to make things work with not a lot. Um, but... In other ways, I don't because it's really nice to know that when I need something, I can buy it. Was it was it uh, tricky then doing such because it's over such a long time, two to three years, you said, um, keeping um, as much of the station going whilst having to obviously um, change quite a lot of the setup? Yeah. So we ended up doing it in two stages, I think. So the, the first sort of half year... When we got a bit of funding, we managed to buy a couple of bits of kit and we started using those for more for uh, OBs and just sort of getting to know the kit and, and improving bits of setup where we could, um, but we didn't have enough yet for doing everything. The the It ended up being called Beat the Buzz uh, and we won a Best Tech uh, SRA award for it in 2016, maybe. Hi, I'm Neve. I was chief engineer at URY in well, from 2017. Uh, I started towards the end of the, my first year as chief engineer, and when I was deciding what to do for university, I was debating between doing sound engineering or doing something in film. Um, and ended up going to York. So at the start of you know, before I was joining, I was looking at all the societies and thought, ah, either student television or student radio looks vaguely interesting. And uh, radio had their induction first, so they, they won there. And just ended up getting massively involved in URY um, from the get-go. I think the AGM was in sort of October, November that time. Um, and I ran for assistant chief engineer 
and got that, so I was heavily involved within a couple of months of, of joining URY, so it all went off pretty quickly. But I've been interested in sound engineering since I was a teenager, so I currently work as a support engineer on Coronation Street. So I've definitely moved into the vision engineering side much more than the um, radio engineering. Um, but all the experience that I gained doing you know, chief engineer and just various engineering bits at URY has taught me a lot and that's been great experience to talk about when I've been at interviews. Like half my examples, you know, for my first jobs were, you know, I've, I've done this and this and this whilst at the radio station. I think it was in my, yeah, it was in my, either my first or second year and it was the first year that we decided to visualise a candidate interview night, um, trying to figure out how to get all that working. Um, and then trying to figure out how to run the cables that far. The um, security would come round and where we'd had to cable tie cables to the very top of the um, sort of like the metal poles that do the shelter over that area by the side of Amberborough mm. and we'd cable tie them to the top and if we ha hadn't managed to cable tie it high enough security would come along and complain that we were going to garrote someone so we'd have to try and cable tie it to the very ceiling of the um, Amberborough walkway um, before that we did lots of massive things. We did a, a broadcast from the Minster, um, which was a crazy long day, trying to get everything working inside the Minster to broadcast the carols. I think we rented I think like eight microphones from the sound department, you know, the um, electronic engineering. So we had cables running all down the Minster for, for microphones everywhere to try and get a nice audio pickup of it all. We used so much gaffer tape that day, so much gaffer <laughs> tape. Um, one of our engineers at the time I think was heavily involved with people who do carols at the Minster, which was actually one of the things we were recording, um, but he was usually involved in that group as well, so he pre managed to scout out exactly where the, the um, power and the network ports were, but we did have to get um, somebody to run us a proper 16 amp connection to where we were based um, and then we just had to sort of hope that our um, Ethernet cables were, were long enough to get us from A to B. I think the Minster probably is the craziest one that we did. Um, but you do lots of weird things with URY, like suddenly they ask you, you'll get uh, somebody asking can we do a broadcast from a hot air balloon and you have to go, it's not exactly going to work. but. Uh, you'll get lots of strange requests as, a, as an engineer because students will come up with oh wow, anyone to be honest will come up with these crazy insane ideas and uh, part of the thing of being chief engineer is trying to figure out if you can do them You are wise This is, this is Jacob, you may recognise him from the episode on audio over IP uh, Hello, thank you, I'm Jacob Dicker I'm a former assistant station manager and former assistant chief engineer uh, my, I'm in my final year, so I become an alumni officially in about two months. Basically, it, it, as is rather typical for me, uh, and as is typical for all of my flatmates who joined up for societies in first year, you, you sign up for about 10, and then you do nothing for any of them. And, and then what happened was uh, a, a flatmate of mine in first year, who I have, or, 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 well, I also lived with in second and third year, um, started doing a radio show as a, as a presenter. And another flatmate and I had a particular shared interest in US politics, and we started doing a US politics show in February 2018. 
It took a while to get it on air from the initial kind of conception of the idea because there wasn't any training slots available. I remember having to sneak into one that was already full and basically being like, I'll just sit at the back and pay attention. And actually, I was the one who, in that training session, which was done by Jack McPolland, uh, a former chief engineer, and when he was chief engineer, he was my boss. (laughs) Um, I remember asking a load of questions that Jack didn't have the answers to. And it was that moment where I decided I wanted to do more of the engineering. Um, So I sent Will Batchelor who at the time was assistant station manager, a message basically saying, how can I get more involved? I'd really like to help out. And he said, well, we always need help with Freshers' Week. We're always really looking for people who are keen to get involved and Freshers' Week will be a good experience for you. Uh, And I did the Freshers' Week of my second year. I did every single OB. I think I was the only person who turned up to every single OB and it, it did kill me. Um, and I did a mixture of presenting. I did a mixture of producing. I mostly did engineering. And as you two will know, um, but as anyone who doesn't know, engineering at an outside broadcast is mostly setting the stuff up in, you know, as quickly as you can, making sure it's all tested and works. And then depending on the length of the OB, doing nothing for somewhere between two and six hours. Um, once the OB is running, there's very little for the engineers to actually do. Um, and that's that's always the bit that I've found difficult on a ULYOB. Do you think that both being a, a presenter and an engineer was useful then? The technical teams, the, the um, computing team and engineering team at University Radio York have always had people in there who also present. Um, I think the more common thing that people do is they start in the technical side and then they they go oh well actually you know they start because they're attracted by the idea of you know maintaining equipment or helping out at the obs or whatever and then they go oh well actually i could go and i could do uh i could do a i could do a show as well um whereas i did it a little bit the other way around which is i just started by doing a show and then got more involved i didn't know what i wanted to do um when i came to uni but since some summer last year i have started doing some freelance sound and lighting and also video work for someone who's studying politics philosophy and economics to to decide in their second year because of uri oh actually i think i want to be a sound engineer um is a fairly big diversion um so yes so my experience of engineering at uri has i'd say quite radically changed what i want to do Uh, 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 I think the engineering team at URY has always been very good in knowing what presenters want, which is generally a station that works, that is easy to use. The 40K project, also known as the Big Alumni Project, has been really important in delivering the high quality and the ease of use element. Um, Because previously, the, the two studios, Studio Red and Studio Blue, were completely different. And anyone who, if Studio Red wasn't available, it was common for people to just cancel their shows. Um, because Studio Blue was so different to use that people would go into Studio Blue and they'd be like, I have no idea what I'm doing. Um, And I think that now, you know, one of the things that, you know, happened in in 40K that the engineering team delivered uh, was the fact that those those two studios are now basically identical. That, 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 That was a... I was a very small cog in a very big machine for 40K. Most of the work on 40K was done by Naomi and Tom. And then, you know, after that, you had Matthew Stratford, who built the new Magic Baps boxes. You had Will Batchelor, who lent a power drill and drilled a load of holes in the office. It it was a really big team project. In 2015, we um, started the Beat the Buzz project, which was to transition um, from analog audio distribution 
around the station to digital uh, using Dante. The problem was that the news missed out on that bit. Uh, and the news, the news feed ran. I'm going to get this wrong. It ran as an unbalanced audio connection into Studio Blue, where it was put into one of the Rednet boxes, the Dante boxes in Studio Blue, and then sent out over the network. But that existing run of unbalanced analog audio meant that the news was always really noisy. There was a hum to it, a buzz. The ATEM, the Blackmagic television mixer that does our visualization, was moved from the corner of Studio Red into the hub um, by the office. And we needed to get audio to it. And it only takes AES3 audio. So we needed a box that could give that thing AES3 digital audio. Isaac had um, found, bought a Tanberg satellite receiver, which could output AES3 digital audio. And basically we realised that with a relatively cheap £150 Dante adapter, we could eliminate the final um, regularly used unbalanced audio run, analog audio run around the project. So I'm Natalie. I am just about to graduate, hopefully, haven't got the results back yet, in uh, this year. So I've been doing engineering for about properly two years so how what what first got you interested in engineering for radio like so i joined computing because i wanted to have a hobby that was completely opposite to my degree very different so i can kind of zone out and be like right let's me do my degree or let me do my hobby and i was like oh i enjoy computing and then of course engineering they overlap so much like it's Mm. just you get to have a knowledge about it and get a full understanding of it and it just makes more sense if you know both sides I want to go into producing for radio and one of the things that they really liked about me was having that experience that prior experience in and uh, engineering and computing because I couldn't just be like ah something's broken scream about it I could go right we could try this we could try that so I could be the first port of call do you think that's one of the nice things about um student radio that you feel that you can make um mistakes and get things wrong and it's yeah fine yeah de- definitely i feel like uri is a perfect playground just to be because that's also why i joined engineering is because this is the perfect time for me to test out this stuff and then say i have the experience rather than in the industry where you have how many millions of people listening and stuff like that you don't risk have more like negative impacts kind of thing hmm. but whilst because uri is such a little like safe place it's kind of it makes ish there is issues but i'm not the issues are minimal compared to the industry so it's much nicer i love your wise little playground to just try that thing and go actually that was a great idea or no i ain't doing ever doing that p that that like (laughs) never touching that equipment ever again i don't like kind of thing that's all for part one check out part two for more questions with all of our guests you can find more on tap visit the website uri.org.uk